Thank you. you may be seated this morning. Again, uh, thank you for... What a, what a great song. How many of you uh, had never heard that song before? And we sang that for the first time uh, on a Good Friday service. It has quickly became one of my, my favorite songs. Thinking about, you know, when we, when we get to heaven, we're just going to sing praises to the Lord. Isn't that going to be awesome? We're going to have what we're going to learn today, a glorified body. And uh, we're going to be in the presence of God forever. And uh, so I want to invite you to turn in your Bible to Exodus chapter 19. Exodus 19. And uh, if you're not familiar, maybe you've got a new Bible. There's usually a table of contents in front, so will give you the page. But it's just the second book in the Bible. You've got Genesis and then Exodus. And uh, we are, some of you uh, I know have not uh, been a part of our series. We're in our fourth week of our series called The Real God, and I would encourage you, if, you, if uh, you haven't been a part of that, you're welcome to go back to our, go onto our website, hbcfw.org, and all the, the messages are there. You can watch them, and all the music's on there as well, but you can watch. And so we have made a couple already statements about who the real God is, that the real God is good, and that the real God is sovereign. And today we're going to look at the fact that the real God is holy. And the truth is, all of us have somewhat of a distorted view or image of who God is, because the image that you have of God is most likely developed from your past experiences or past teachings or how you grew up. And, and I've told you every week that my, uh, my view of God growing up was that I kind of viewed God uh, really as maybe a cop or a judge or a principal. And, and that may be, uh, those three things may be because those might have influenced uh, me the most negatively in my life as a child growing up, and I'll let you uh, do all the assumptions on those three things, but all of us have a distorted image of who God is. All of us have uh, this picture that's not as clear as it should be, and the truth is we're never really going to completely understand who God is and everything about God until we get in the presence of of God. But the goal of this series is not necessary to, uh, that you'll have this perfect image of who God is, because that's going to happen when we get to heaven, but it's, the goal is that we're going to have a clearer, a, a more clear, a less distorted image of who God is. Uh, I grew up with a lot of rules, both in church and in school and at home, and so that's a lot of the reasons that I, I kind of just always thought that God was disappointed in me, because I'm open confession I wasn't real good at following rules. Okay, I know that comes as a shock to some of you, but I wasn't. But, but when I get a clearer, when I became a little less distorted in my image of God and realized who God was, really was, then it changed my perspective. And because of my image of God and because of who you view God to be, it's going to reflect your actions, your feelings, and your emotions. That's why it's important for us to unpack what the Bible says about who the real God is. So let me give you, it's not in your notes here, but uh, I would encourage you, if you, if you got a bulletin when, when you came in, grab that. We're going to walk through these notes a little bit. I would encourage you to write some extra notes. You'll see in your bulletin there's this extra insert in there. We're not even going to try to attempt to get through all that, okay? This is for you to take home and do a little more study on your own about how God, through Scripture, has revealed Himself to us and, and revealed His holiness 
uh, to us. But so this takeaway sentence, I want to give you one sentence that you could take home with you. Uh, in other words, if, if you write this down or memorize this, you could probably, if you chose to, sleep the next 25 minutes and, and then wake up at the end and, and, and get the takeaway sentence, okay? So here it is. A clear view of God's holiness leads us to repentance and surrender. A clear view of God's holiness leads us to repentance and surrender. That's kind of the takeaway from today. And so uh, as you're already in Exodus chapter number 19, uh, we're going to begin reading in verse number 1. And in Exodus 19, we're about 50 days, if you know much about the history of Israel, we're about 50 days from uh, maybe when you were a kid, you grew up and you sang or you heard about the stories about the Israelites crossing the Red Sea on dry ground and, and how God had the ten plagues and the frogs and, and all the nastiness we want to talk about, all the kids are in here, uh, but... They crossed, they got out, they, God delivered them, God redeemed them. We're about 50 days away from that as the Israelites have been uh, on this long camping journey, okay? And so they're at Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai is the same mount where in Exodus chapter 3, I think our kids in here might have a, a kid's bulletin, and it has Exodus chapter 3 in there when God showed up to Moses in the burning bush. And that happened on Mount Sinai, the same mountain that here we are later after all the people are out of Israel. What God had told Moses on that mountain was go get my people out of Israel and bring them back to this mountain. And you're going to see how powerful I am. And so that's where we're at in the storyline, all right? Exodus 19, starting in verse number 1. In the third month of the children of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on the same day they came to the wilderness of Sinai. For they had departed from Rephidim and had come to the wilderness of, the Sinai, of Sinai and camped in the wilderness. So Israel camped there before the mountain. Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians. If, if you have your text out, or maybe you're on YouVersion Bible app, I would encourage you to highlight that part. You have seen. So God is speaking here. He says to Moses, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my uh, covenant, then you shall be my special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. There are the words of which you shall speak to the children. So you get the picture here. God is telling Moses uh, uh, what he's going to do. Now go tell the people. You've seen my power. Now go tell the people. So verse number seven, it starts out with, so, so Moses came and called for the elders of the people and laid before them all these words which the Lord had commanded them. Then all the people answered together and said, all that the Lord has spoken we will do. So Moses brought back the words to the people to the Lord. So now Moses is back up on the mountain. He's going to tell God. And the Lord said to Moses in verse nine, behold, I come to you in the cl a thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak with you and believe you forever. This is the response that should happen to the nation of Israel. God says, I'm going to speak to you, Moses. The people, they're all going to hear it. And because they hear the voice of God, they should believe you forever, that you are my spokesperson. That's how it was supposed to happen. So Moses told the words of the people to the Lord. Verse 10, Then the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow, and let them wash their clothes. Let them be ready for the third day. For on the third day the Lord will come down upon Mount Sinai in the sight of of all the people. Now I ask you to highlight verse number four where it said, 
God said, you have seen what I did to the Egyptians. And this is signifying, God is saying to Moses and to the people, you've seen the power of God. And then in verse 11, it's here on the screen, and let them be ready for the third day, for on that third day the Lord will come down upon Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. Do you see the difference between verse 4 and verse 11? In verse 4, they've seen the power of God, and he's referencing all the miracles, all the plagues in Egypt. He's referencing how uh, Moses uh, led them across through the Red Sea on dry ground, and when they got across, all the Egyptian army came into the, 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 the Red Sea, and what did God destroyed all of them, and God displayed his power. So they've seen the power of God. Here in verse 11, God says, not only you, you've seen my power, now you're going to see my presence. Isn't that what we want, the presence of God? Amen. See, I, I, don't want, I don't want God's blessing more than I want God. I don't want God's power more than I want God's presence. And so God is saying in three days, I'm going to come and bless you with my presence. Now, I just think for a moment, today's Mother's Day. We have our kids in here today. Uh, for family worship, because we like our teachers to get a little break and to be able to sit with their own families in, on Mother's Day. And I don't know about you, but growing up, when, when guests came over to the house, or when we knew guests were going to come over to the house, kids, I don't know if it's still true today, do your moms make you clean the house or clean your room before guests come over? Can you shake your head at me? Yeah, how many of you raise your hand? Yeah, we have to clean everything. She's so mean, right? We've got adults raising their hands. I, I remember that. And, and uh, things haven't changed much. I'll just put it that way. All, all moms, all women, I guess, are like that, aren't they? We're going to clean up. Everything's going to look great. Now, it, the degree of the cleaning, the depth of the cleaning, somewhat determined on the importance of the person coming. Are, are you tracking with me? Like, there was not much cleaning going on for my buddies that were coming over. <laughs> Definitely not for me. But my mom, she, she's not cleaning for my friends. Are you, are you tracking with me? What, what, if, what if this afternoon for your Mother's Day lunch, the president was going to come? What, what, maybe for me it might be a different. How about, how about Michael Jordan was going to show up? Troy Eggman, like Troy Eggman had this big following at the golfing this weekend, and he's not even very good, but and people were following him. Can you imagine what the camp of Israel was like over those three days? Think about it. God's, God's coming to the house. Can you imagine all the tents being cleaned and the moms scurrying around? God's coming, God's coming. Can you imagine? And they prepare. But let's keep reading verse number 12. You shall set bounds for the people all around, saying, Take heed to yourself that you do not go up to the mountain or touch its base. Whoever touches the mountain shall surely be put to death. Not a hand shall touch him, but he shall surely be stoned or shot with an arrow, whether man, whether man or beast. He shall not live. When the trumpet sounds long, they shall come near the mountain. So you get, they're going to have a barrier around the mountain because in order, if, if they were to touch the mountain, they were going to die anyways because they were, the, the presence of God is an all-consuming fire and, and God's presence would, would devour them. And so there's this protection for them. Verse 14, so Moses went down from the mountain to the people, and he sanctified the people. They washed their clothes, 
they cleaned their tents, apparently, somewhere in there it says that. And he said to the people, be ready for the third day. Do not come near your wives. Then it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunderings and lightnings in a thick cloud on the mountains, and the sound of the trumpet was very loud. So all the people who were in the camp trembled. Do you understand the picture that's taking place? God's presence is coming onto the mountain. And what's the description here? It's this huge thunderstorm. The lightning, the thunder, the mountain begins to shake, and the people have a proper response. It, be, it says they begin to tremble. They were fearful. Verse 17, Moses uh, brought the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was completely in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire. Again, God is a consuming, holy fire. Its smoke ascended like the smoke of the furnace, and the whole mountain quaked greatly. And the blast of the trumpet sounded long and became louder and louder. And Moses spoke, and God answered him by voice. Then the Lord came down upon the Mount Sinai and on top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. And the presence of God became real to the people. And in Exodus chapter 15, Moses uh, referencing the Red Sea, and, and Ben read these scriptures for us, but in Exodus chapter 15, uh, Moses gives us a, a kind of a, a little bit of a description of who God is, and he asks a question. In Exodus 15 verse 2, if you want to uh, turn back just a few uh, pages in your Bible, Exodus 15 verse 2 says, The Lord is my strength and song. He has become my salvation. He is my God. I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. Then verse 11, Moses asks a question that he's assuming we know the answer to. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders? You stretched out your hand, the earth swallowed them uh, you in your mercy have led forth the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them in your strength to your holy habitation. So today as we unpack this, the real God is holy. I'll be completely honest with you this morning. Uh, my mind, it's really hard for me to even uh, describe or understand the holiness of God. The goodness of God, a little easier. The sovereignty of God, that God is in control, it seems like a little easier for my brain to wrap around. The holiness of God, I don't think that I've completely quite grasped. So let me just read a statement that made me feel a little bit better about, or a little less insecure that I can't figure it out. Here's what A.W. Tozer said, who's known for being really smart, okay? We know nothing like the divine holiness. It stands apart, unique, unapproachable, incomprehensible and unattainable. The natural man is blind to it. He may fear God's power and admire his wisdom, but his holiness he can't even imagine. So let's just try for a moment. I'm going to use words of people much smarter than me to define. Let's try to define for a moment, to wrap our head around a little bit what the holiness of God actually means. What does it mean that God is holy? Let me just give you some words. It means uh, to, be, to, uh, to be set apart, to be above all else, to be different, to be distinct, to be unique from the common or the ordinary. It goes on to say the holiness of God is that which divides him from everyone and from everything. It's the quality of God being different, distinct, unique, one of a kind. In other words, God, his holiness and what that means is way above our capacity to comprehend. 
goes on to say God's holiness refers to both his majesty and his moral purity. What his holiness represents is that he has an absolute absence of anything evil, that he's pure. In fact, we would read in Scripture that God, can, God can't allow evil even into his presence because of his holiness. So what does that mean for us? How should we respond? Because if he's, if he's holy, and, and uh, how, how does that respond? How should we respond to the holy, righteous God? And, and as I already referenced in your, uh, in your bulletin, there's this insert that has all these scriptures. It, it would be a great Bible study for you to take the time and read all the instances in the scripture where God reveals his holiness. He reveals through encounters, places, the law, the prophets, judgment through his son, but here's the two questions, and, and these two questions are on your bulletin this morning. These are the two questions that always seem to come up when someone is faced with the holiness of God and trying to explain that God is holy, God is set apart, God is pure, God is anything but us, right? That, that we are wicked and, and he is, holiness is the complete absence of anything evil. Two questions always come up because we understand that God created us and God created us for fellowship. Adam and Eve were in the garden his perfect creation, he created them so they could have fellowship. Because of their sin and because he is holy, that, that relationship was broken. Because holiness can't be in the presence of evil. And so the question that always comes up then is if God is so holy, this, this is in your bulletin this morning, if God is so holy that he cannot even gaze at sin, how can sinful people like us, that's what the Bible says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, that everyone in the room, me especially, is a sinner. And so if God is so holy, and we are so not, but yet he created us for fellowship, then how can we have fellowship? Well, turn with me to Romans chapter 5, and we'll get the answer to the question. The easy answer to the question is, how can, how can we, as sinful people, enter in the presence of a holy, righteous God? The simple answer is because of the cross, because of Jesus. So if, you, if you're trying to find Romans, you've got to go to the New Testament. You've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, then Acts, then Romans, and we're going to be in Romans chapter Number five, Romans chapter five, and we're going to read beginning in verse uh, number uh, six. For when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man one will die, yet perhaps for a good man someone will even dare to die. Verse number eight. But God demonstrates his own love toward us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. So we're going to talk about this word a little bit more, but this, this verse 9 is really important. So verse 8 tells us that while we were still sinners, which all of us are, that God demonstrated or showed or revealed his love to us by sending his son Jesus to die in our place. He took my place. He took your place. And then it goes on in verse 9, says, Having now been justified... Well, how are we justified? What well, the next three words say. 
We're justified by his blood, by the blood of Jesus, because Jesus died. And because we're justified, it says we shall be saved. We shall be saved from what? The holy wrath of God. So how can I, a sinner, enter in the presence of a holy, righteous God? According to this passage, I have to be justified. How am I justified? I'm justified by the blood of Jesus Christ. And if I'm justified by the blood of Jesus Christ, guess what? I'll be free from the wrath of a holy, righteous God. I want you to turn over, uh, maybe you minds to turn it over. Look at page, or at verse 17. Romans 5, 17. Romans 5, 17 says, For if by one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in the life through the one, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as through one man's offense judgment came, we're talking about the first Adam, Adam and Eve there, to all men resulting in condemnation, even so through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men. And we're talking about Jesus resulting in what? The justification of life. For by as one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. So the question, how can sinful man enter into the presence of a holy, righteous God? The answer is through Jesus. That's why Jesus said, when Jesus was on the earth in John chapter 14 and verse 6, he said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one can get to the Father because he's holy and righteous and can't be in the presence of evil. No one can get to the Father except through what? Through Jesus, through me, he said. And so, what the holy, I love this statement, what the holiness of God demands, the love of God supplies. What the holiness of God demands, the love of God supplies. So the second question that always comes up when we talk about the holiness of God, number two there on your outline, if trusting Christ's work on the cross blocked out our sin before God and we are holy in his sight, why do we keep sinning? Anybody ever asked that question before? How many of you uh, feel like you're pretty good, you really don't sin much? Anybody like that? Okay. How many of you realize Every single day, you struggle with sin. Me. My, my, uh, my nickname has, uh, and I, I'm, I'm not sure if I earned it, one, one of my nicknames is the evil twin. Um, I'm not, never mind, I'm not going to say that. Yeah, I better not. All right. So why do I keep, if we just read Romans 5, verse 9, justified by his blood, saved from the wrath, then why do I keep sinning? Well, we're going to answer that in, in your three blanks here, in, in the blanks on this. And we, were, we read this word justified, and some of you know what it means, and some of you don't know what it means. And I didn't explain it then on purpose, because we're going to explain it now. Okay, so the first... Uh, blank when we talk about this is justification. 
Okay, what does justification mean? Justification, when I was a kid, I heard this definition of justification, and it's just stuck with me. It's as, just as if I never sinned. How many of you heard that growing up, okay? How many of you taught that to kids when they were going? So I, I, just as if I had never sinned. But it's a, it's a legal declaration. It's a legal declaration saying that you are innocent, okay? That you stand not guilty. The reality is we are all guilty, but when we are justified by the blood of Christ, it's just as if I never sinned. That he's declared us guilty before him. In other words, when I come to Christ, so we said that, uh, that we're justified by the blood of Christ and then saved from his wrath. When does that take place? Or how does that take place? For me, it took place on June the 6th, 1991. On June the 6th, 1991, I had just graduated from high school. I was 17 years old and thought I knew everything that was going to happen in my life at that point, right? And I went to youth camp. I grew up in church my entire life. But I realized on that day that I had never been justified. In other words, I'd never been declared not guilty. Because the Bible is very clear I'm a sinner. The punishment of my sin is death. Eternity separated from God is what that means. So at the age of 17, I made a decision. That decision was that I was going to believe that Jesus died for my sins. I was going to believe that he came back to life on the third day. And I was going to confess that I couldn't be good enough to get to God. And I needed Jesus. And the moment that I surrendered my life, to Jesus for my salvation, for my forgiveness of sins, that's when I was justified. So for me, it's, it's in the past, which is what your, your out, outline is talking about. Justification deals with our position, if you're filling in the blanks, our position of holiness, how we stand before God. And, and here's a great truth of Scripture. My position of holiness that took place on June the 6th, 1991, when I was declared not guilty, justified because of the decision I made, guess what? That's always going to be upon me. That declaration, that proclamation, that position of holiness, it's never going to change. When God sees me, He doesn't see my sin, He doesn't even see my goodness. He sees Christ. And so I stand before God not as a good person. I stand before God as a follower of Jesus Christ. And he declared me not guilty. The second one, sanctification. So this one is maybe a little more difficult. Maybe It seems like it's easier in my mind to explain, but maybe a little difficult to understand. So sanctification really is pretty simple. It's the process of me becoming more like Christ. It's the process of me growing in my faith. So I'm, the plan is that as, uh, as since June the 6th, 1991, that I have grown up a little bit, not just emotionally, just not physically, but spiritually. That every single day I'm striving to become more like Christ. The, the Bible talks in Galatians that we are the image bearers of Christ. And so when people look at our life, they should see not us, but Paul said, Christ in, in me. And the, the closer I get to God, 
the more I should look like Christ. That's the process of sanctification. Okay, so I know kids, this, you're probably getting a little bored with this right now, so I've got a commercial break for you, okay? I was just, you know, I'm a picture guy, i got to see things. And so, you guys ever heard about um, how if you have a pet or a dog uh, for a long time, they begin to look like you? Anybody, anybody ever heard that? So I've just got a few examples for us to look at this morning, all right? So first one. I'm just curious if there was, like, if they, I'm not even going to ask. All right, number two. See, I knew that you guys were going to go, ah, but that was so cute. I, number three. I got so much that I try not to say. <clears throat> Does anybody know this lady? Just checking. All right, and, and the last one, number four. That one just seems creepy to me. I'm going to be honest with you. So the process of sanctification is not that I'm going to be perfect. I've been declared perfect because I stand not guilty, clothed in the righteousness of Christ. That's justification. But sanctification is that now that I have Christ in me, my goal is progress. My goal is working towards him, to become more like Christ. So on your outline here, it says sanctification deals with our practical holiness. That means my day-to-day. How am I going to live? Am I living more like Christ? You know, the Scripture talks about how we should live, and that we should, Hebrews 12, 14 says, make every effort to live in peace with all men and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. We, we have an obligation as followers of Christ to every day strive to be more like Christ. Now, so there's a lot of practical application that, could, that we could talk about. We won't take a lot of time talking about this, but I want you just to start thinking about it. What, what, is, what does God say about my finances? And so how I treat my finances and, and how I steward what God has blessed me with will tell me where I'm at in this process of sanctification. What about Relationships. What about how, you know, uh, when I was a kid, uh, the old preachers, they always used to say, uh, if you, you need to stay away from the, the girls, the gold, and the glory. You ever, anybody ever heard that? Like the big three for a preacher, I guess. But, but let's think about that for a moment. Aren't those maybe kind of the big three for all of us? Like making a name for ourselves? getting more money. And let's just be really honest. I know kids in here, so I'm being careful with my words today. But our culture sells one thing really well, don't they? And you, you got to have it now, whenever, however. And so we think about this. In these areas in my life, that's really clear in Scripture. Where am I at on this process? Uh, there's another way to illustrate this. I, I've told you guys that we're, we're ch- uh, several of my friends and, and other preachers and, and, and several people in the church here, we're, we're training for this, this big hike coming up on August the 20th. We're going we're gonna to attempt to hike the, the John Murray Trail. It's like 231 miles. It's like 47,000 feet of elevation change. And I, I got a text. So Keith Matthews, uh, uh, is Keith in here? I don't know if he's here today. 
If he is, he's crawling under the pew right now. But Keith Matthews and I, he's, he's training for this, and we've been, we've been trying to encourage each other. And, and uh, how far did you go today? And, and we're doing the Stairmaster thing, you know. And he made a statement to me the other day that just stuck in me in my head thinking about this process of sanctification. He said, I told him how many floors I did that day. And he said, could you imagine yourself doing that that many two months ago? But no, I'd be dead. And then it, that's, that's the process of sanctification. That as I commit every day to be disciplined, to know and follow God, that two months from today, I'll be closer to God than I am today. And, and so that's really for you to make a commitment. I'm not going to use the word, yeah, I am. It's, it's like a diet, right? Things aren't going to necessarily change overnight. Just continue pursuing Jesus and let him change you. That's the process of, of sanctification. And, and again, so the word there is practical holiness. The third one, glorification. Okay, glorification, we're going to take a long time on this because, I mean, it's, it seems simple. I think I can explain it really quick. This is what's going to happen when you, when, you, when you stand before the Lord. You're immediately going to be glorified. You're going to have a perfect body. At that point, you will stop sinning. Can we say amen to that? Now, at this point, you should try to stop sinning, but it's not going to happen. You're not going to be perfect until you stand before God, and it's called permanent holiness. So we have position holiness, practical holiness, and permanent holiness, which is in the future. It's when we stand before God. Now, I got one more passage of scripture to read, and, and then we're going to close this down. But you remember what we started out this morning saying? A clear view of God's holiness leads us to repentance and surrender. I want you to turn to Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6 is, is in the Old Testament. I think it gives us one of the most clear pictures of of really this takeaway sentence this morning. When we, when we experience and understand the holiness of God to the best of our ability, how should we respond? How should it affect us? How should it practically affect us? Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1, it says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. So Isaiah here gets a small glimpse of the same thing that the nation of Israel got a glimpse of in Exodus chapter 19. Verse number uh, 4 says, And the post of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. So I said, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having his hand a live coal, which he had taken from the tongs from the altar, and he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away, your sin purged. And I also heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who shall go for us? And then I said, Here am I, send me. So we started out this morning by saying, A clear view of God's holiness leads us to repentance and to surrender. When we think about 
how holy, how righteous, how good God is. Our, our response, we see here what Elijah said, Isaiah said, woe is me, I'm unclean. Repentance. And after his repentance, you see what the last part of verse 8 says? Surrender. Lord, here I am, send me. So this morning, here's really the two responses that you have in light of hearing who God is and the holiness of God is, is will you repent and will you surrender? So some of us this morning, some of you in here this morning, you are on that, maybe on that first step, that first step of becoming more like Christ, and that is that, that you still need to be justified. Like I was on June the 6th, 1991, I was declared not guilty, so that when I die, I will stand in the very presence of God, and he will see the righteousness of Christ in me. Because the reality is, there is none of us that can be good enough to get into heaven. We have to be clothed in the righteousness of Christ. And today, maybe God has revealed to you through Scripture that you need to do that today. And it's very simple. I've already explained it, but I'll explain it again. It's simply believing that Jesus is who he said he was. It's believing that Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty of your sin debt so that you could have a relationship with God, so that you could stand not guilty before God. And it's confessing, Lord, I'm a sinner, and I need Jesus. Would you forgive me? And that's it. You know, I want to do something a little different this morning. If, if, if this morning you want to make that decision, you, you want to make that decision that you're placing your faith in Jesus for your salvation, for forgiveness, I'm going to say a little prayer, and if you want to do that, if you, if you want to make that statement you're believing and you're confessing, I, I want to ask you right where you're seated to, to do it right where you're at. You know what's really cool about uh, sometimes tradition and God? Did you know, I'm going to blow your mind, some of you, did you know you guys could pray with your eyes open? And that's what we're going to do right now. If you want to give your life to Christ, and you've never done that, I'm going to ask you right now, as I pray, to just talk to God about it. You don't have to repeat exactly what I'm saying. If you want to, it doesn't matter whether I hear it. It's just you talking to God. But you may say this, God, I believe Jesus died for me. And God, I believe that Jesus came back to life. I confess that I'm a sinner and that I need Jesus. I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to come into my life and I want you to be my Lord and my Savior. Now I would ask you, would you guys close your eyes And I just want to ask as our eyes are closed this morning, because I don't want to embarrass you, but, but I would like to be encouraged and, and to pray for you this morning. If, if you prayed that prayer this morning, would you just put your hand up for a moment? 
Everyone's eyes are closed, but just would you put it up right now? Just put your hand up. I prayed that prayer. I ask for forgiveness in my life today. Just put your hand up. All right, we've got in the stadium. Anyone else? Just put your hand up for a moment. I'm just kind of looking around. Thank you. Here at the front. Anyone else? Just put your hand up. Thank you. Another one in the stadium. Anyone else? All right, you can put your hands down. And here's what I'm going to encourage you to do. In a moment, we're going to stand and we're going to sing one last song of worship. There's going to be several of us, men and women, we're going to be standing at the front and, and we're going to be facing you as an audience. And as we sing, I, I would encourage you, if, if you would like us to know, I would encourage you to tell someone to just walk down this morning and shake our hand and say, I made that decision today to give my life to Jesus. We would love to pray with you about it. But maybe that's a little scary for you, I understand. There is a card right in front of you. Dave mentioned earlier, the Connect card. Maybe you want to just fill that information out. On the bottom, there's a checkbox that said, I'd like more information about receiving Christ. Maybe you could turn it over on the back and just say, I, I gave my life to Christ today. Would, would someone contact me? If that's easier for you, I would encourage you to do that. And on your way out this morning, you can just drop it in a box. The second part of this is surrender. Some of you in here this morning, you, you've, been, you, you, you've been justified a lot longer than I have. But maybe God's revealed to you that in this process of sanctification, there's some areas in your life that you need to surrender back to God. That you need to give God control of again. And I would ask you in a moment when we stand, to maybe to come forward and just pray. If you'd like to pray privately, just come forward and pray. We're not going to interrupt you. If you would like for us to pray for you, we'll be right here. You can shake our hand, ask us to pray with you. But again, a clear view of God's holiness leads to repentance and to surrender. God, I thank you for this day. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity this morning just to, to think about how holy you are, to learn about how holy you are, Lord. And, and I pray that, that these that have raised their hand, that have made this decision to give their life to you today, Lord, that you would give them the boldness to either to walk down this morning uh, to tell someone that invited them or to fill out that card and put it in the box on their way out. Lord, for those that are struggling right now, there's, the Holy Spirit has revealed to them some areas in their life that they need to confess or to repent or to surrender, that they would do that today. Lord, we love you. We thank you. Would you stand with me this morning? We're going to continue in worship as we sing... A very appropriate song this morning about the holiness of God.